section twenty seven of shirley by charlotte bronte this librivox recording is in the public domain the first blue stocking miss kildar and her uncle had characters that would not harmonize that never had harmonized he was irritable and she was spirited he was despotic and she liked freedom he was worldly and she perhaps romantic not without purpose had he come down to yorkshire his mission was clear and he intended to discharge it conscientiously he anxiously desired to have his niece married to make for her a suitable match give her in charge to a proper husband and wash his hands of her for ever the misfortune was from infancy upwards surely and he had disagreed on the meaning of the words suitable and proper she never yet had accepted his definition and it was doubtful whether in the most important step of her life she would consent to accept it the trial soon came mr wynne proposed in form for his son samuel farthrop wynne decidedly suitable most proper pronounced mr simpson a fine unencumbered estate real substance good connections it must be done he sent for his niece to the oak parlour he shut himself up there with her alone he communicated the offer he gave his opinion he claimed her consent it was withheld no i shall not marry samuel fawthrop wynne i ask why i must have a reason in all respects he is more than worthy of you she stood on the hearth she was pale as the white marble slab and cornice behind her her eyes flashed large dilated unsmiling and i ask in what sense that young man is worthy of me he is twice your money twice your common sense equal connections equal respectability had he my money counted five score times i would take no vow to love him please to state your objections he has run a course of despicable commonplace profligacy except that is the first reason why i spurn him miss kildar you shock me that conduct alone sinks him in a gulf of immeasurable inferiority his intellect reaches no standard i can esteem there is a second stumbling block his views are narrow his feelings are blunt his tastes are coarse his manner is vulgar the man is a respectable wealthy man to refuse him is presumption on your part i refuse point blank cease to annoy me with the subject i forbid it is it your intention ever to marry or do you prefer celibacy i deny your right to claim an answer to that question may i ask if you expect some man of title some peer of the realm to demand your hand i doubt if the peer breathes on whom i would confer it were there insanity in the family i should believe you mad your eccentricity and conceit touch the verge of frenzy 
perhaps ere i have finished you will see me overleap it i anticipate no less frantic and impracticable girl take warning i dare you to sully our name by a mesalliance our name am i called simpson god be thanked that you are not but be on your guard i will not be trifled with what in the name of common law and common sense would you or could you do if my pleasure led me to a choice you disapprove take care take care warning her with voice and hand that trembled alike why what shadow of power have you over me why should i fear you take care madam scrupulous care i will take mr simpson before i marry i am resolved to esteem to admire to love preposterous stuff indecorous unwomanly to love with my whole heart i know i speak in an unknown tongue but i feel indifferent whether i am comprehended or not and if this love of yours should fall on a beggar on a beggar it will never fall mendicancy is not estimable on a low clerk a play-actor a play-writer or or take courage mr simpson or what any literary scrub or shabby whining artist for the scrubby shabby whining i have no taste for literature and the arts i have and there i wonder how your fawthrop win would suit me he cannot write a note without orthographical errors he reads only a sporting paper he was the booby of stilbro grammar school unladylike language great god to what will she come he lifted his hands and eyes never to the altar of hymen with sam wynn to what will she come why are not the laws more stringent that i might compel her to hear reason console yourself uncle for britain a serfdom and you the czar you could not compel me to this step i will write to mr wynne give yourself no further trouble on the subject fortune is proverbially called changeful yet her caprice often takes the form of repeating again and again a similar stroke of luck in the same quarter it appeared that miss keeldar or her fortune had by this time made a sensation in the district and produced an impression in quarters by her unthought of no less than three offers followed mr wynne's all more or less eligible all were in succession pressed on her by her uncle and all in succession she refused yet amongst them was more than one gentleman of unexceptionable character as well as ample wealth many besides her uncle asked what she meant and whom she expected to entrap that she was so insolently fastidious at last the gossips thought they had found the key to her conduct and her uncle was sure of it and what is more the discovery showed his niece to him in quite a new light and he changed his whole deportment to her accordingly fieldhead had of late been fast growing too hot to hold them both the suavant could not reconcile them the daughters froze at the view of their quarrels gertrude and isabella whispered by the hour together in their dressing-room and became chilled with decorous dread if they chanced to be left alone with their audacious cousin 
but as i have said a change supervened mr simpson was appeased and his family tranquillized the village of nunnally has been alluded to its old church its forest its monastic ruins it had also its hall called the priory an older a larger a more lordly abode than any briarfield or winbury owned and what is more it had its man of title its baronet which neither briarfield nor winbury could boast this possession its proudest and most prized had for years been nominal only the present baronet a young man hitherto resident in a distant province was unknown on his yorkshire estate during miss kildar's stay at the fashionable watering-place of cliffbridge she and her friends had met with and been introduced to sir philip nunnally they encountered him again and again on the sands the cliffs and the various walks sometimes at the public balls of the place he seemed solitary his manner was very unpretending too simple to be termed affable rather timid than proud he did not condescend to their society he seemed glad of it with any unaffected individual surely could easily and quickly cement an acquaintance she walked and talked with sir philip she her aunt and cousins sometimes took a sail in his yacht she liked him because she found him kind and modest and was charmed to feel she had the power to amuse him one slight drawback there was where is the friendship without it sir philip had a literary turn he wrote poetry sonnets stanzas ballads perhaps miss kildar thought him a little too fond of reading and reciting these compositions perhaps she wished the rhyme had possessed more accuracy the measure more music the tropes more freshness the inspiration more fire at any rate she always winced when he recurred to the subject of his poems and usually did her best to divert the conversation into another channel he would beguile her to take moonlight walks with him on the bridge for the sole purpose as it seemed of pouring into her ear the longest of his ballads he would lead her away to sequestered rustic seats whence the rush of the surf to the sands was heard soft and soothing and when he had her all to himself and the sea lay before them and the scented shade of garden spread round and the tall shelter of cliffs rose behind them he would pull out his last batch of sonnets and read them in a voice tremulous with emotion he did not seem to know that though they might be rhyme they were not poetry it appeared by shirley's downcast eye and disturbed face that she knew it and felt heartily mortified by the single foible of this good and amiable gentleman often she tried as gently as might be to wean him from this fanatic worship of the muses it was his monomania on all ordinary subjects he was sensible enough and fain was she to engage him in ordinary topics he questioned her sometimes about his place at nunnally she was but too happy to answer his interrogatories at length she never wearied of describing the antique priory the wild sylvan park the hoary church and hamlet nor did she fail to counsel him to come down and gather his tenantry about him in his ancestral halls somewhat to her surprise sir philip followed her advice to the letter and actually towards the close of september arrived at the priory he soon made a call at fieldhead and his first visit was not his last he said when he had achieved the round of the neighbourhood that under no roof had he found such pleasant shelter 
as beneath the massive oak beams of the grey manor-house of briarfield a cramped modest dwelling enough compared with his own but he liked it presently it did not suffice to sit with shirley in her panelled parlour where others came and went and where he could rarely find a quiet moment to show her the latest production of his fertile muse he must have her out amongst the pleasant pastures and lead her by the still waters tete-a-tete rambling she shunned so he made parties for her to his own grounds his glorious forest to remoter scenes woods severed by the wharf vales watered by the air such assiduity covered miss kildar with distinction her uncle's prophetic soul anticipated a splendid future he already scented the time afar off when with nonchalant air and left foot nursed on his right knee he should be able to make dashingly familiar allusion to his nephew the baronet now his niece dawned upon him no longer a mad girl but a most sensible woman he termed her in confidential dialogues with mrs simpson a truly superior person peculiar but very clever he treated her with exceeding deference rose reverently to open and shut doors for her reddened his face and gave himself headaches with stooping to pick up gloves handkerchiefs and other loose property whereof shirley usually held but insecure tenure he would cut mysterious jokes about the superiority of woman's wit over man's wisdom commence obscure apologies for the blundering mistake he had committed respecting the generalship the tactics of a personage not a hundred miles from fieldhead in short he seemed elate as any midden cock on pattens his niece viewed his manoeuvres and received his innuendos with phlegm apparently she did not above half comprehend to what aim they tended when plainly charged with being the preferred of the baronet she said she believed he did like her and for her part she liked him she had never thought a man of rank the only son of a proud fond mother the only brother of doting sisters could have so much goodness and on the whole so much sense time proved indeed that sir philip liked her perhaps he had found in her that curious charm noticed by mr hall he sought her presence more and more and at last with a frequency that attested it had become to him an indispensable stimulus about this time strange feelings hovered round fieldhead restless hopes and haggard anxieties haunted some of its rooms there was an unquiet wandering of some of the inmates among the steel fields round the mansion there was a sense of expectancy that kept the nerves strained one thing seemed clear sir philip was not a man to be despised he was amiable if not highly intellectual he was intelligent miss keeldar could not affirm of him what she had so bitterly affirmed of sam wynne that his feelings were blunt his tastes coarse and his manners vulgar there was sensibility in his nature there was a very real if not a very discriminating love of the arts there was the english gentleman in all his deportment as to his lineage and wealth both were of course far beyond her claims his appearance had at first elicited some laughing though not ill-natured remarks from the merry shirley it was boyish his features were plain and slight his hair sandy his stature insignificant but she soon checked her sarcasm on this point she would even fire up if any one else made uncomplimentary allusion thereto he had a pleasing countenance she affirmed and there was that in his heart which was better than free roman noses than the locks of absalom 
or the proportions of saul a spare and rare shaft she still reserved for his unfortunate poetic propensity but even here she would tolerate no irony save her own in short matters had reached a point which seemed fully to warrant an observation made about this time by mr yorke to the tutor lewis yon brother robert of yours seems to me to be either a fool or a madman two months ago i could have sworn he had the game all in his own hands and there he runs the country and quarters himself up in london for weeks together and by the time he comes back he'll find himself checkmated lewis there's a tide in the affairs of men which taken at the flood leads on to fortune but once let slip never returns again i'd write to robert if i were you and remind him of that robert have views on miss kildar inquired lewis as if the idea was new to him views i suggested to him myself and views he might have realized for she liked him as a neighbor as more than that i've seen her change countenance and color at the mere mention of his name write to the lad i say and tell him to come home he is a finer gentleman than this bit of a baronet after all does it not strike you mr yorke that for a mere penniless adventurer to aspire to a rich woman's hand is presumptuous contemptible oh if you are for high notions and double refined sentiment i've naught to say i'm a plain practical man myself and if robert is willing to give up that royal prize to a lad rival a puling slip of aristocracy i'm quite agreeable at his age and his place with his inducements i would have acted differently neither baronet nor duke nor prince should have snatched my sweetheart from me without a struggle but you tutors are such solemn chaps it is almost like speaking to a parson to consult with you flattered and fawned upon as shirley was just now it appeared she was not absolutely spoiled better better nature did not quite leave her universal report had indeed ceased to couple her name with that of moore and this silence seemed sanctioned by her own apparent oblivion of the absentee but that she had not quite forgotten him that she still regarded him if not with love yet with interest seemed proved by the increased attention which at this juncture of affairs a sudden attack of illness induced her to show that tutor brother of robert's to whom she habitually bore herself with strange alternations of cool reserve and docile respect now sweeping past him in all the dignity of the moneyed heiress and prospective lady mentally and anon accosting him as abashed schoolgirls are wont to accost their stern professors bridling her neck of ivory and curling her lip of carmine if he encountered her glance one minute and the next submitting to the grave rebuke of his eye with as much contrition as if he had the power to inflict penalties in case of contumacy lewis moore had perhaps caught the fever which for a few days laid him low in one of the poor cottages of the district which he his lame pupil and mr hall were in the habit of visiting together at any rate he sickened and after opposing to the malady a taciturn resistance for a day or two was obliged to keep his chamber he lay tossing on his thorny bed one evening henry who would not quit him watching faithfully beside him when a tap too light to be that of mrs gill or the housemaid summoned young simpson to the door how is mr moore to-night asked a low voice from the dark gallery come in and see him yourself is he asleep i wish he could sleep come and speak to him surely he would not like it but the speaker stepped in and henry seeing her hesitate on the threshold took her hand and drew her to the couch the shaded light showed miss kildar's form but imperfectly 
yet it revealed her inelegant attire there was a party assembled below including sir philip nunnally the ladies were now in the drawing-room and their hostess had stolen from them to visit henry's tutor her pure white dress her fair arms and neck the trembling chainlet of gold circling her throat and quivering on her breast glistened strangely amid the obscurity of the sick-room her mien was chastened and pensive she spoke gently mr moore how are you to-night i have not been very ill and am now better i heard that you complained of thirst i have brought you some grapes can you taste one no but i thank you for remembering me just one from the rich cluster that filled a small basket held in her hand she severed a berry and offered it to his lips he shook his head and turned aside his flushed face but what then can i bring you instead you have no wish for fruit yet i see that your lips are parched what beverage do you prefer mrs gill supplies me with toast and water i like it best silence fell for some minutes do you suffer have you pain very little what made you ill silence i wonder what caused this fever to what do you attribute it miasma perhaps malaria this is autumn a season fertile in fevers i hear you often visit the sick in briarfield and nunnally too with mr hall you should be on your guard temerity is not wise that reminds me miss gilda that perhaps you had better not enter this chamber or come near this couch i do not believe my illness is infectious i scarcely fear with a sort of smile you will take it but why should you run even the shadow of a risk leave me patience i will go soon but i should like to do something for you before i depart any little service they will miss you below no the gentlemen are still at table they will not linger long sir philip nunnally is no wine-bibber and i hear him just now pass from the dining-room to the drawing-room it is a servant it is sir philip i know his step your hearing is acute it is never dull and the sense seems sharpened at present sir philip was here to tea last night i heard you sing to him some song which he had brought you i heard him when he took his departure at eleven o'clock call you out on to the pavement to look at the evening star you must be nervously sensitive i heard him kiss your hand impossible no my chamber's over the hall the window just above the front door the sash was a little raised for i felt feverish you stood ten minutes with him on the steps i heard your discourse every word and i heard the salute henry give me some water let me give it him but he half rose to take the glass from young simpson and declined her attendance and can i do nothing nothing for you cannot guarantee me a night's peaceful rest and it is all i at present want you do not sleep well sleep has left me yet you said you were not very ill i am often sleepless when in high health if i had power i would lap you in the most placid slumber quite deep and hushed without a dream blank annihilation i do not ask that with dreams of all you most desire monstrous delusions the sleep would be delirium the waking death your wishes are not so chimerical you are no visionary miss kildar i suppose you think so but my character is not perhaps quite as legible to you as a page of the last new novel might be that is possible but this sleep i should like to woo it to your pillow to win for you its favour if i took a book and sat down and read some pages i can well spare half an hour thank you but i will not detain you i would read softly it would not do i am too feverish and excitable to bear a soft cooing vibrating voice close at my ear you had better leave me 
well i will go and no good-night yes sir yes mr moore good-night exit surely henry my boy go to bed now it is time you had some repose sir it would please me to watch at your bedside all night nothing less called for i am getting better there go give me your blessing sir god bless you my best pupil you never call me your dearest pupil no nor ever shall possibly miss kildar resented her former teacher's rejection of her courtesy it is certain she did not repeat the offer of it often as her light step traversed the gallery in the course of a day it did not again pause at his door nor did her cooing vibrating voice disturb a second time the hush of the sick-room a sick-room indeed it soon ceased to be mr moore's good constitution quickly triumphed over his indisposition in a few days he shook it off and resumed his duties as tutor that old lang syne had still its authority both with preceptor and scholar was proved by the manner in which he sometimes promptly passed the distance she usually maintained between them and put down her high reserve with a firm quiet hand one afternoon the simpson family were gone out to take a carriage airing surely never sorry to snatch a reprieve from their society had remained behind detained by business as she said the business a little letter-writing was soon dispatched after the yard gates had closed on the carriage miss kildar betook herself to the garden it was a peaceful autumn day the gilding of the indian summer mellowed the pastures far and wide the russet woods stood ripe to be stripped but were yet full of leaf the purple of heath bloom faded but not withered tinged the hills the beck wandered down to the hollow through a silent district no wind followed its course or haunted its woody borders field-dead gardens bore the seal of gentle decay on the walks swept that morning yellow leaves had fluttered down again its time of flowers and even of fruits was over but a scantling of apples enriched the trees only a blossom here and there expanded pale and delicate amidst a knot of faded leaves these single flowers the last of their race surely called as she wandered thoughtfully amongst the beds she was fastening into her girdle a hueless and scentless nosegay when henry simpson called to her as he came limping from the house surely mr moore will be glad to see you in the schoolroom and to hear you read a little french if you have no more urgent occupation the messenger delivered his commission very simply as if it were a mere matter of course did mr moore tell you to say that certainly why not and now do come and let us once more be as we were at simpson grove we used to have pleasant school hours in those days miss kildar perhaps thought that circumstances were changed since then however she made no remark but after a little reflection quietly followed henry entering the schoolroom she inclined her head with a decent obeisance as had been her wont in former times she removed her bonnet and hung it up beside henry's cap lewis moore sat at his desk turning the leaves of a book open before him and marking passages with his pencil he just moved in acknowledgment of her curtsy but did not rise you proposed to read to me a few nights ago said he i could not hear you then my attention is now at your service a little renewed practice in french may not be unprofitable your accent i have observed begins to rust what book shall i take here are the posthumous works of st pierre read a few pages of the fragments de la mazone she accepted the chair which he had placed in readiness near his own the volume lay on his desk there was but one between them her sweeping curls dropped so low as to hide the page from him 
put back your hair he said one moment shirley looked not quite certain whether she would obey the request or disregard it a flicker of her eye beamed furtive on the professor's face perhaps if he had been looking at her harshly or timidly or if one undecided line had marked his countenance she would have rebelled and the lesson had ended there and then but he was only awaiting her compliance as calm as marble and as cool she threw the veil of tresses behind her ear it was well her face owned an agreeable outline and that her cheek possessed the polish and the roundness of early youth or thus robbed of a softening shade the contours might have lost their grace but what matter that in the present society neither calypso nor eucharist cared to fascinate mentor she began to read the language had become strange to her tongue it faltered the lecture flowed unevenly impeded by hurried breath broken by anglicized tones she stopped i can't do it read me a paragraph if you please mr moore what he read she repeated she caught his accent in three minutes très bien was the approving comment at the close of the piece c'est presque la français rattrapée n'est-ce pas you could not write french as you once could i dare say oh no i should make strange work of my concords now you could not compose the devoir of la première femme savant do you still remember that rubbish every line i doubt you i will engage to repeat it word for word you would stop short at the first line challenge me to the experiment i challenge you he proceeded to recite the following he gave it in french but we must translate on pain of being unintelligible to some readers and it came to pass when men began to multiply in the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them that the sons of god saw the daughters of men that they were fair and they took them wives of all which they chose this was in the dawn of time before the morning stars were set and while they yet sang together the epoch is so remote the mists and dewy gray of matin twilight veil it with so vague an obscurity that all distinct feature of custom all clear line of locality evade perception and baffle research it must suffice to know that the world then existed that men peopled it that man's nature with its passions sympathies pains and pleasures informed the planet and gave it soul a certain tribe colonized a certain spot on the globe of what race this tribe unknown in what region that spot untold we usually think of the east when we refer to transactions of that date but who shall declare that there was no life in the west the south and the north what is to disprove that this tribe instead of camping under palm groves in asia wandered beneath island oak woods rooted in our own seas of europe it is no sandy plain nor any circumscribed and scant oasis i seem to realize a forest valley with rocky sides and brown profundity of shade formed by tree crowding on tree descends deep before me here indeed dwell human beings but so few and in alleys so thick branched and overarched they are neither heard nor seen are they savage doubtless they live by the crook and the bow half shepherds half hunters their flocks wander wild as their prey are they happy no not more happy than we are at this day are they good no not better than ourselves their nature is our nature human both there is one in this tribe too often miserable a child bereaved of both parents none cares for this child she is fed sometimes but often are forgotten a hut rarely receives her the hollow tree and chill cavern are her home forsaken lost and wandering she lives more with the wild beast and bird than with her own kind hunger and cold are 
her comrades sadness hovers over and solitude besets her round unheeded and unvalued she should die but she both lives and grows the green wilderness nurses her and becomes to her a mother feeds her on juicy berry on saccharine root and nut there is something in the air of this clime which fosters life kindly there must be something too in its dews which heals the sovereign balm its gentle seasons exaggerate no passion no sense its temperature tends to harmony its breezes you would say bring down from heaven the germ of pure thought and purer feeling not grotesquely fantastic are the forms of cliff and foliage not violently vivid the colouring of flower and bird in all the grandeur of these forests there is repose in all their freshness there is tenderness the gentle charm vouchsafed to flower and tree bestowed on deer and dove has not been denied to the human nursling all solitary she has sprung up straight and graceful nature cast her features in a fine mould they have matured in their pure accurate first lines unaltered by the shocks of disease no fierce dry blast has dealt rudely with the surface of her frame no burning sun has scritched or withered her tresses her form gleams ivory white through the trees her hair flows plenteous long and glossy her eyes not dazzled by vertical fires gleam in the shade large and open and full and dewy above those eyes when the breeze bears her forehead shines an expanse fair and ample a clear candid page whereon knowledge should knowledge ever come might write a golden record you see in the desolate young savage nothing vicious or vacant she haunts the wood harmless and thoughtful though of what one so untaught can think it is not easy to divine on the evening of one summer day before the flood being utterly alone for she had lost all trace of her tribe who had wandered leagues away she knew not where she went up from the vale to watch day take leave and night arrive a crag overspread by a tree was her station the oak roots turfed and mossed gave a seat the oak boughs thick-leaved wove a canopy slow and grand the day withdrew passing in purple fire and parting to the farewell of a wild low course from the woodlands then night entered quiet as death the wind fell the birds ceased singing now every nest held happy mates and heart and hind slumbered blissfully safe in their lair the girl sat her body still her soul astir occupied however rather in feeling than in thinking in wishing than hoping in imagining than projecting she felt the world the sky the night boundlessly mighty of all things herself seemed to herself the centre a small forgotten atom of life a spark of soul emitted in inverted from the great creative source and now burning unmarked to waste in the heart of a black hollow she asked was she thus to burn out and perish her living light doing no good never seen never needed a star in an else starless firmament which nor shepherd nor wanderer nor sage nor priest tracked as a guide or read as a prophecy could this be she demanded when the flame of her intelligence burned so vivid when her life beat so true and real and potent when something within her stirred disquieted and restlessly asserted a god-given strength for which it insisted she should find exercise she gazed abroad on heaven and evening heaven and evening gazed back on her she bent down searching bank hill river spread dim below all she questioned responded by oracles she heard she was impressed but she could not understand above her head she raised her hands joined together guidance help comfort come was her cry there was no voice nor any that answered she waited kneeling steadfastly looking up yonder sky was sealed the solemn stars shone alien and remote at last one overstretched cord of her agony slack 
she thought something above relented she felt as if something far round drew nigher she heard as if silence spoke there was no language no word only a tone again a fine full lofty tone a deep soft sound like a storm whispering made twilight undulate once more profounder nearer clearer it rolled harmonious yet again a distinct voice passed between heaven and earth eva if eva were not this woman's name she had none she rose here am i eva o oh, night it can be but night that speaks i am here the voice descending reached earth eva lord she cried behold thine handmaid she had her religion all tribes held some grief i come a comforter lord come quickly the evening blushed full of hope the air panted the moon rising before ascended large but her light showed no shape lean towards me eva enter my arms repose thus thus i lean o invisible what felt and what art thou eva i have brought a living draught from heaven daughter of man drink of my cup i drink it is as if sweetest dew visited my lips in a full current my arid heart revives my affection is lightened my strait and struggle are gone and the night changes the wood the hill the moon the wide sky all change all change and forever i take from thy vision darkness i loosen from thy faculties fetters i level in the thy path obstacles i with my presence fill vacancy i claim as mine the lost atom of life i take to myself the spark of soul burning heretofore forgotten o oh, take me o oh, claim me this is a god this is a son of god one who feels himself in the portion of life that stirs you he is suffered to reclaim his own and so to foster and aid that it shall not perish hopeless a son of god am i indeed chosen thou only in this land i saw thee that thou wert fair i knew thee that thou wert mine to me it is given to rescue to sustain to cherish mine own acknowledge in me that seraph on earth named genius my glorious bridegroom true dayspring from on high all i would have at last i possess i receive a revelation the dark hint the obscure whisper which have haunted me from childhood are interpreted thou art he i sought god-born take me thy bride unhumbled i can take what is mine did i not give from the altar the very flame which lit eva's being come again into the heaven whence thou wert sent that presence invisible but mighty gathered her in like a lamb to the fold that voice soft but all-pervading vibrated through her heart like music her eye received no image and yet a sense visited her vision and her brain as of the serenity of stainless air the power of sovereign seas the majesty of marching stars the energy of colliding elements the rooted endurance of hills wide based and above all as of the lustre of heroic beauty rushing victorious on the night vanquishing its shadows like a diviner sun such was the bridal hour of genius and humanity who shall rehearse the tale of their after union who shall depict its bliss and bale who shall tell how he between whom and the woman god put enmity forged deadly plots to break the bond or defile its purity who shall record the long strife between serpent and seraph how still the father of lies insinuated evil into good pride into wisdom grossness into glory pain into bliss poison into passion how the dreadless angel defied resisted and repelled how again and again he refined the polluted cup exalted the debased emotion rectified the perverted impulse detected the lurking venom baffled the frontless temptation purified justified watched and withstood how by his patience by his strength 
by that unutterable excellence he held from god his origin this faithful seraph fought for humanity a good fight through time and when time's course closed and death was encountered at the end barring with fleshless arm the portals of eternity how genius still held close his dying bride sustained her through the agony of the passage bore her triumphant into his own home heaven restored her redeemed to jehovah her maker and at last before angel and archangel crowned her with the crown of immortality who shall of these things write the chronicle i never could correct that composition observed shirley as more concluded your censor pencil scored it with condemnatory lines whose signification i strove vainly to fathom she had taken a crayon from the tutor's desk and was drawing little leaves fragments of pillars broken crosses on the margin of the book french may be half forgotten but the habits of the french lesson are retained i see said lewis my books would now as earth be unsafe with you my newly bound st pierre would soon be like my racine miss gildar her mark traced on every page shirley dropped her crayon as if it burned her fingers tell me what were the faults of that devoir she asked were they grammatical errors or did you object to the substance i never said that the lines i drew were indications of faults at all you would have it that such was the case and i refrained from contradiction what else did they denote no matter now mr moore cried henry make shirley repeat some of the pieces she used to say so well by heart if i ask for any it will be le cheval dompte said moore trimming with his penknife the pencil miss gilda had worn to a stump she turned aside her head the neck the clear cheek forsaken by their natural veil was seen to flush warm ah she has not forgotten you see sir said henry exultant she knows how naughty she was a smile which surely would not permit to expand made her lip tremble she bent her face and hid it half with her arms half in her curls which as she stooped fell loose again certainly i was a rebel she answered a rebel repeated henry yes you and papa had quarrelled terribly and you set both him and mamma and mrs pryor and everybody at defiance you said he had insulted you he had insulted me interposed shirley and you wanted to leave simpson grove directly you packed your things up and papa threw them out of your trunk mamma cried mrs pryor cried they both stood wringing their hands begging you to be patient and you knelt on the floor with your things and your upturned box before you looking shirley looking why in one of your passions your features and such passions are not distorted they are fixed but quite beautiful you scarcely look angry only resolute and in a certain haste yet one feels that at such times an obstacle has to cross your path will be split as with lightning papa lost heart and called mr moore enough henry no it is not enough i hardly know how mr moore managed except that i recollect he suggested to papa that agitation would bring on his gout and then he spoke quietly to the ladies and got them away and afterwards he said to you miss shirley that it was of no use talking or lecturing now but that the tea-things were just brought into the schoolroom and he was very thirsty and he would be glad if you would leave your packing for the present and come and make a cup of tea for him and me you came you would not talk at first but soon you softened and grew cheerful mr moore began to tell us about the continent the war and bonaparte subjects we were both fond of listening to after tea he said we should neither of us leave him that evening he would not let us stray out of his sight lest we should again get into mischief we sat one on each side of him he was so happy and never passed so pleasant an evening the next day he gave you missy a lecture of an hour 
and wound it up by marking you a piece to learn in bossuet as a punishment lesson le cheval dante you learned it instead of packing up surely we heard no more of your running away mr moore used to tease you on the subject for a year afterwards she never said a lesson with greater spirit subjoined moore she then for the first time gave me the treat of hearing my native tongue spoken without accent by an english girl she was as sweet as summer cherries for a month afterwards struck in henry a good-hearted quarrel always left shirley's temper better than it found it you talk of me as if i were not present observed miss kildor who had not yet lifted her face are you sure you are present asked moore there have been moments since my arrival here when i have been tempted to inquire of the lady of fieldhead if she knew what had become of my former pupil she is here now i see her and humble enough but i would neither advise harry nor others to believe too implicitly in the humility which one moment can hide its blushing face like a modest little child and the next lift it pale and lofty as a marble juno one man in times of old it is said imparted vitality to the statue he had chiselled others may have the contrary gift of turning life to stone moore paused on this observation before he replied to it his look at once struck and meditated said a strange phrase what may it mean he turned it over in his mind with thought deep and slow as some german pondering metaphysics you mean he said at last that some men inspire repugnance and so chill the kind heart ingenious responded shirley if the interpretation pleases you you are welcome to hold it valid i don't care and with that she raised her head lofty in look and statue-like in hue as lewis had described it behold the metamorphosis he said scarce imagined ere it is realized a lowly nymph develops to an inaccessible goddess but henry must not be disappointed of his recitation and olympia will deign to oblige him let us begin i have forgotten the very first line which i have not my memory if a slow is a retentive one i acquire deliberately both knowledge and liking the acquisition grows into my brain and the sentiment into my breast and it is not as the rapid springing produce which having no root in itself flourishes virtuous enough for a time but too soon falls withered away attention henry miss kildar consents to favour you foyer sir cheval et impetuol so it commences miss kildar did consent to make the effort but she soon stopped unless i heard the whole repeated i cannot continue it she said yet it was quickly learned soon gained soon gone moralized the tutor he recited the passage deliberately accurately with slow impressive emphasis surely by degrees inclined her ear as he went on her face before turned from him returned towards him when he ceased she took the word up as if from his lips she took his very tone she ceased his very accent she delivered the periods as he had delivered them she reproduced his manner his pronunciation his expression it was now her turn to petition recall le song d'atelier she entreated and say it he said it for her she took it from him she found lively excitement in the pleasure of making his language her own she asked for further indulgence all the old school pieces were revived and within shirley's old school days he had gone through some of the best passages of racine of cornelia and then had heard the echo of his own deep tones in the girl's voice that modulated itself faithfully on his le chien et le rousseau that most beautiful la, la fontaine's fables had been recited well recited by the tutor and the pupil had animatedly availed herself of the lesson perhaps a simultaneous feeling seized them now that their enthusiasm had kindled to a glow 
which the slight fuel of french poetry no longer sufficed to feed perhaps they longed for a trunk of english oak to be thrown as a yule log to the devouring flame more observed and these are our best pieces and we have nothing more dramatic nervous natural and then he smiled and was silent his whole nature seemed serenely alike he stood on the hearth leaning his elbow on the mantelpiece musing not unblissfully twilight was closing on the diminished autumn day the schoolroom windows darkened with creeping plants from which no high october winds had as yet swept the sere foliage admitted scarce a gleam of sky but the fire gave light enough to talk by and now lewis moore addressed his pupil in french and she answered at first with laughing hesitation and in broken phrase more encouraged while he corrected her henry joined in the lesson the two scholars stood opposite the master their arms round each other's waists tartar who long since had craved and obtained admission sat sagely in the centre of the rug staring at the blaze which burst fitful from morsels of coal among the red cinders the group were happy enough but pleasures are like poppies spread you seize the flower its bloom is jed the dull rumbling sound of wheels was heard on the pavement in the yard it is the carriage returned said Shirley, and dinner must be just ready and i am not dressed a servant came in with mr moore's candle and tea for the tutor and his pupil usually dined at luncheon time mr simpson and the ladies are returned she said and sir philip nunnally is with them how you did start and how your hand trembled surely said henry when the maid had closed the shutter and was gone but i know why don't you mr moore i know what papa intends he is a little ugly man that sir philip i wish he had not come i wish sisters and all of them had stayed at devalden hall to dine surely should once more have made tea for you and me mr moore and we would have had a happy evening of it moore was locking up his desk and putting away his st pierre that was your plan was it my boy don't you approve it sir i approve nothing utopian look life in its iron face stare reality out of its grassy countenance make the tea henry i shall be back in a minute he left the room so did shirley by another door End of chapter twenty seven